Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the HR committee meeting. It's been a while since we've met. We only meet quarterly. Um, so do we have any public comment? I don't have any public comment. Can I call roll real quick, please? Sure. Thank you. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Blue? Here. Trustee Chapman? Here. Trustee Esteen? Here. And Trustee Jensen? Here. Thank you. We do have a quorum. Yay. Okay. So no public comment. All right. Um, we have, we need the approval of minutes. I'll move approval. A second. Okay. All right. Uh, let me do a roll call. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. And Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay, so we have some uh, informational discussion, the HR dashboard and the organizational leadership effectiveness. I'm gonna turn that over to Lorna and I believe she's gonna do a screen share. Yeah, okay, there we go. Huh. All right, Lorna. All right, I'd like to introduce my VP of HR, Lynn Velasquez, and we're gonna be sharing these duties today. It's all yours, Lynn, you're on mute. Sorry, thank you very much. Sorry about that. Um, the HR dashboard. Uh, so the time to fill went up slightly uh, from uh, the 51 day benchmark that we have to 67.12 uh, days. Uh, and that's due to a very uh, robust candidate market. Uh, we have some people that, you know, ghosted uh, us. And in addition to that, uh, it was very um, challenging, I would say, uh, to really get people in the pipeline. However, uh, despite that, our time to onboard, even though that has gone up, if you look at our, um, our fourth quarter, we filled five. Um, may I interrupt you for a second? I think you're in the uh, presenter mode. Can you go to slideshow mode so that we can see it in the right uh, frame? Thank you. Okay. You want this? We lost it. Yeah, yeah I have Karen uh, Skillman sharing the uh, deck. Hang on, sorry. That's okay. Sorry about that. Are you seeing my screen? Yes, thank yes. you. Is, is this how you want it? Can you do from, yeah, from beginning or something if you click on it? Yes, now we thank you. Is that better? Yes. Thank okay, you. thank you. Uh, so the time to onboard uh, did go up, however, uh, we were able to fill 536 requisitions uh, in the fourth quarter, which is a 46% increase. Despite the fact that some of the staff had um, COVID-related illness, we were still able uh, to pull that off. And in addition, we launched our internal mobility unit, uh, which handles uh, internal transfers uh, in the organization. So, you know, I feel that we uh, accomplished a lot in the fourth quarter. Any questions? Okay, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, here we have our um, 
the uh, number of employees who are employed in the uh, county of Alameda. Uh, these numbers have really have not changed and remain steady. Uh, workers' compensation did see an uptick uh, in the fourth quarter, and uh, that was mainly due to uh, COVID uh, cases rising uh, within the organization and their ability to file workers' compensation claims. Any questions on this slide? Hey, Lynn, I have a question on that slide. Okay. I see. Um, I wanted to know the partnerships with the Employment Development Department. How to? Can you um, just provide a little bit more information about that partnership? Um, I know in working with uh, Health Path, uh, we have partnered with uh, UCSF to do uh, job fairs recently. Um, and also, I think we're looking at uh, placing some of our jobs on uh, college job boards. Right now, there is a job board that's kind of uniform for all colleges and universities, but I know that one college has reached out to us uh, recently uh, to place our job postings on their job site. So we, we continue, continue to work on this. The EDD, isn't it um, the... Um agency that does unemployment and um, employment support for the state? Yes, we do uh, also post there. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Any other questions on this slide? Okay, let's go to the uh, next slide. Thank you. Here is our turnover report. Uh, it has uh, an uptick in the fourth quarter. Uh, overall for the system is at 13.73%. Uh, um, annualized for the first year, it's 31.77. Uh, and for second year, it's 20.9%. Uh, the nursing turnover uh, did decrease slightly uh, at the system level uh, from 19% to 13%. Uh, first year uh, also decreased from 37 to 31%, and the second year uh, went down from 38% to 26%. Um, the other thing that we are looking at is changing our metrics uh, for turnover from the uh, benchmark of 11.09% to 17% effective with a new fiscal year. I think that's a more realistic target and in keeping with some of the national averages. Any questions on the turnover report? Okay, next slide, please. And here is our exit interview uh, data from the Work Institute and the top 10 reasons for leaving. Um, you know, here we're, we're looking at a career, environment, health, and family, involuntary, et cetera. Uh, this particular slide will change uh, the next time we meet. Uh, Work Institute is doing more of a deeper dive uh, to really display why people are leaving. And hopefully at, at our next meeting, we'll also have our business intelligence report uh, for the exit interview data, which we can drill down uh, organization-wide by SBU uh, and also by department. So I'm really excited that it's almost um, coming to fruition uh, to show you uh, the work that we have done there. So um, it will also marry up with the turnover report and the diversity uh, dashboard report. 
Lynn, let's continue. I have a question. Um, would we be able to see um, what kind of questions are asked in the exit interviews? Like, what, what is the exit interview? I'm just thinking about like the environment. Like, what are some of those subcategories people are talking about, or management, or um, you know, some of the others like would be, or even total rewards or work-life balance. I'm sure there's like, open, uh, do they have an option to give open-ended answers as well as like the choices that they have? Right, there is a script or protocol, if you will, of standard questions that they ask. And also the um, uh, participant has the ability to render a commentary on the reasons why they left. Be helpful to know what some of the choices are in that and then also some of the more granular level reasons too because i mean these are pretty equally spread out you'd think that you know mm -hmm. relocation retirement would be something but you know the environment or the management and things. so those i think would be nice to dive a little deeper oh correct i think our bi uh, uh exit interview interview report will demonstrate some of the um um, the reasons why people are leaving in more uh, specific terms. So um, I think with that and the Work Institute changing uh, their schematics uh, for how why people are, are leaving uh, the institution, I think will help us kind of drill down and mitigate those uh, issues through more retention strategies for the organization. Can I ask for some clarification on the, the headings? Some of them seem a little redundant um like one is career one is job how do you differentiate between that and and another is work-life balance and total rewards like i don't understand exactly what we're trying to say here or work-life balance and health and family um and then yeah it just i'm not quite with the classifications uh, for career people want you know mobility in their career so that could be a reason why they they left they have a promotional opportunity. Uh, the environment can be a mix of, um, you know, burnout for people, uh, health and family people. Some people have left uh, because they have to take care of loved ones in other states or other locations. And so uh, they become the caretaker and they leave the organization. Um, management, I think that's pretty explanatory. Some people leave because of the way their managers treat them. Uh, but not always. I mean, we do get some glowing reviews about when, when people leave the organization, they have good things to say about managers, too, uh, because they look at uh, two different scorings. One is an excellent rating for the organization. You know, I'm leaving on good terms. I feel really good about uh, Alameda Health System, and I'm going to score them very high versus on the other uh, side is I'm leaving because my environment's toxic. Uh, my manager is uh, mean to me, uh, and so I'm going to score you well. Um, retirement, you know, people are still leaving uh, because they are at retirement age uh, eligible. Uh, total rewards have to do with uh, benefits, so our uh, compensation, our health and welfare benefits. Um, some people feel that maybe it's not adequate enough, but I will tell you that that really scores a lower, uh, even. Um, uh, in the uh, Work Institute interview uh, process, that's really uh, on the lower uh, spectrum of why people leave. And then people don't really want to say why they're leaving, so it's just a general employment other. Work-life balance, like I said, <laughs> it has to do with 
of people being burned out. And I know that as an organization, we are addressing that uh, with our um, score surveys. Uh, that kind of was a, a pronounced finding uh, in this last survey. Um, I just wanted to get some feedback regarding the largest category, and that is the involuntary uh, reason for leaving. Would that be terminations or would that be? Um, uh, I, I, it's, is it mainly it, probation, probationary release, Lynn? Uh, yeah, it's, it's layoffs, uh, involuntary terminations, uh, sometimes when, um, yes, that's what it means. It's also can I, can um, I, people that haven't met their compliance requirements, okay, that's what I was gonna their say. licensures or their um, uh, competencies, or they haven't done their, um, they haven't followed along with their vaccinations. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of those are um, terminations because they haven't met compliance standards. Correct. And, and I'll further say that- to see, but um, it seems like a very big, uh, we, we need to retain employees. And so um, I'm just pointing this out to, to um, get some feedback and to identify, I think in the future, we should identify ways to reduce that proportion of, of people that are leaving the organization. Can I just say, Trustee Jensen, one of the issues that came up this year was the CDPH requirements for vaccination and testing. Mm -hmm. So in September, October of this year, we had a huge influx of people that decided not to follow through with doing a religious declination or a medical declination. And those people were exited. Similarly, we had the same issue come up in February, March with uh, the CDBH requirement for booster. And so people left. Then we've had a, a, you know, a steady pace of people that are supposed to test twice a week. And if they fail to do that and keep compliance with the testing requirements, if they have a approved declination, they ultimately will be terminated after they've gotten it, received an initial warning for not testing. So that's where we've had a huge, you know, blip with these numbers that you're seeing. So thanks. It sounds, it sounds like that would be um, it would be related more related to the pandemic requirements than to um, not meeting certification or licensure or other other requirements. And then Lorna, um, has the unions raised any of these issues around the vaccines? Because I know SEIU nationally has taken a position that people need to get vaccinated. Um, yeah, yeah, they've actually been our biggest partners. So SCIU 10 to 1, I will say, really stepped up. Um, we mm -hmm. started meeting with them in August and September, and they actually dedicated to have a call. They did um, calls, and they set up like a call center, and they were robocalling people like, where's your declination? They're reviewing them on Friday. They sent you an invite. So I will say that um, our partnership with SCIU 10 to 1, all the unions, but 10 to 1 had really, you know, they have a majority of our employees, they really did step up to help. Okay. Yeah. And I and think what, that has been very helpful because we do want to, I think, uh, decrease the number of, um, you know, involuntary terminations in, in that regard. And what about the work-life balance? I think that has to do with burnout, um, basically. And, and we're, we, we are trying to address that issue. Uh, throughout the organization. And has the union brought up any recommendations or resolutions to this? 
No, but it has been discussed in our group meetings. We haven't met in the past month, but I will say they brought it up. I I will say there's work being done with Dr. Torna Bene and also Sophia in our work, our um, wellness uh, manager, and they're looking to do care for the caregiver. And that's an initiative that they're hoping to launch. I don't have the ETA on that, but that mm-hmm. is also another holistic approach to helping with um, you know, burnout. Um, we have several different things in place um, with Claremont EAP. They have support groups. Um, they have, you know, of course, one-to-one counseling and different services they offer. And we routinely push out those uh, reminders to employees and management to ensure that their employees are aware of the services they offer. Um, and one last point I'll point out is um, our uh, CNO, uh, Ro Lofton, had um, made a request asking if we had a support group for PTSD. And lo and behold, I did some digging and found one through our EAP provider. So they do have lots of services. Uh-huh. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. Who's that? I can't see. Uh, it's Mark Bratsky. Lorna, um, we did have an opportunity to view a survey done by SEIUUHW that maybe you could comment on that. Sure. Oh, yeah, that's true. Our SEIUUHW did do a survey. I think they ran it statewide, all the locals. And we did have, um, you know, they represent our employees within the subacute arena and at Alameda. And what was really salient was the burnout rate and the fact that we have certain departments that are um, totally, you know, with the response rate, if there was, you know, 50, 60% of the respondents, 100% of them said they were burnt out. And just so you know, for a follow-up, Mark, is um, uh, my team in labor and the HRBPs are meeting with the leaders and um, Mario and Ro um, to address some of those issues along with the VP of nursing um, to do a deeper dive. And we're going to be partnering with them to do follow-up action planning. Yeah, thank you, Lorna. And one other commentary on that, because I sat in on the on the conversation, um, they they um, surveyed all of their uh, members in all of the hospitals across California, the state, I think. And um, believe it or not, although our scores weren't great, our scores were better than most of the hospitals that were surveyed in terms of burnout and the kinds of things we're doing. So it was a nice takeaway for us to know we've got work to do, but yet um, the members feel that we're doing things better than many in the state. Okay, any other questions? And then Lorna, when you get that data that UHW did, if you could share it with the, well, probably with the board of trustees to share it with them so that they can see that. Because what's going on is no different than what's going on other other parts of the country. It's it's really not good. Yeah, the great resignation continues. I know Mm -hmm. that we're close to maybe 40 million Americans that quit their jobs, uh, even though, there seems to be uh, inflation uh, that might be changing some of the economic landscape. I know when I checked the, uh, the EDD labor market report, uh, the unemployment rate uh, that was issued June 17th, we're at 2.5% unemployment rate in Alameda County and 2.7% in Contra Costa. 
And then with the CPI index uh, for the San Francisco Bay Area generated June uh, of 2022, over the last 20 months, uh, the last 12 months, uh, it's now at 6.8%. Food prices uh, rose 10.8% in the Bay Area. And then the energy um, prices jumped to 36.4%. Uh, so that is, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting how this changes the market, I think, going forward, because we're starting to see some contraction in the IT sector. Uh, also the finance because of the uh, mortgage rates. Um, you know, people aren't applying for uh, mortgages as they once were, and also in, in the insurance uh, industry. So I'm trying to keep a closer eye on this. Where, you know, hospitals are really growing um, uh, their jobs. Um, I don't see any um, healthcare systems at this point that have put a, a hiring freeze or layoffs uh, uh, that I know of. Uh, and this is just another uh, schematic uh, of the top 10 reasons why people are leaving. It's pretty much uh, in sync with the prior uh, slide that we have shown. And then Lynn, this is Louise again. Yes. Is the 45% response rate on the exit interviews, that's yes. better, right? Yes. That's better from the previous. Oh, okay. much better, yes, much yeah. better. Okay. Yeah. That's a good response rate. I wanna yeah. see higher. Um, I hope you will get there. Okay, next slide, please. Uh, and this is the HR turnover dashboard. This is the DI report that we created. Uh, and so uh, from January 1st of this year to July 1st of this year, uh, we had uh, 500 hires and 352 terminations. And out of that 352, 114 uh, turned within the first year, and in the second year it was 62, and then three plus years is 176 employees. <sighs> yeah, that's, and you know, that's kind of tracking uh, Trustee Blue with uh, the national averages where people are yeah. just quitting in the first year um, and also in the second year, but the first year is more prominent. Um, and I think because of COVID, people are just rethinking uh, their, their lifestyle choices. And I know in attending a Silicon Valley uh, HR council meeting a few weeks ago, uh, one of the, uh, the chief people officer of PayPal, even though it's tech, he said he, he thinks that COVID has changed the landscape permanently. And that uh, you know, big box companies and even midsize are gonna reduce their real estate uh, footprint and there's mm -hmm. going to be more of a hybrid um, workplace flexibility in order to retain employees. Now, for the hospital sector, that's challenging when we have frontline staff, right? Yeah. Uh, but this, this continues to be uh, the theme throughout um, uh, our country. And I think globally, they're seeing the re great resignation uh, globally. So just on this, I have one more question, um, Lorna, that, and Lynn, you could probably answer this too, but because I forgot to ask you when we met earlier, but are we able to meet the nurse to patient ratios? I don't know if I can answer that. I, yeah. I can. Uh, Mark? Yes, I believe we are. And Ro is on the line. She maybe could speak to it, but um, I, I believe we are. 
Yes, Mark, you're right. We, we are able to meet um, our nurse-patient ratio. We have had instances in the past, um, I want to say probably December, January or so, where um, I remember in San Leandro, we may have had a shift or so uh, where someone on the um, med tele floor had to take an additional patient. Um, but for the most part, we do meet our state-mandated ratios. Okay. okay. So... If I may, it's James. I just wanted yeah. to, to add to that. I think it would be dangerous to say, and, and your answer was, I think, very accurate, Ro. We can't say with, that it never happens, but it's not something that is endemic. It's not something that we're seeing a ton of because of our inability to staff. I think that would be the, the safest way to phrase mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same, I, I was, Mrs. Kinkini, I too wanted to ask about that, Ro, because from the full board meeting when we were hearing about kind of like the, not the surges, but just the volume of ED um, that have increased so dramatically, both in like much more the increase um, in San Leandro and Alameda hospitals is that probably every shift, every, there are places where uh, that gap is felt. Is that, is, am I right? Because like this time it, it just gets, gave the sense at the full board meeting last week that people were just exhausted at how much they are stretched. And there did seem to be a lot of questions about ratio over there. So are we wrong about, um, is that? No, I, I wouldn't say that, that you're wrong. I think that James summarized it well that um, for the most part, we do meet our state ratios. Now with the ED, sometimes that may fluctuate for a period of time based on volume and the number of staff that are there. Um, but for the inpatient units is definitely more consistent. Um, and we've discussed this before with, um, I believe here at the board meeting, but definitely with our staff in regards to the fluctuations of um, ratios in the emergency department. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And just so that folks know, there are mechanisms for registered nurses to file a complaint, either anonymously or with their name on it, if ratios are not being met. So that's something that um, SEIU uh, really encourages uh, RNs to report that, just so that we have some tracking on that. And it has helped, and not recently, but back uh, when we first started implementing it, it did help identify which areas consistently not meet the staffing ratios. And then, you know, the demand for hospitals were then to address those mm -hmm. and why are we not meeting them? But it sounds like, you know, we're doing the best that we can. Um, and I don't know, as far as I know, I don't think anybody has filed any of our SEIU RNs or CNA RNs have filed a complaint around ratios not being met. <clears throat> and we do have that internal process as well. So whenever um, the nurses that you're absolutely correct that they can speak up and file a complaint if they are out of ratio. And we have that process internally um, to where it is escalated up to me if we are out of ratio and there's a form that they complete. Um, I haven't gotten one of those in a very long time. Um, it's been it's been a few months. Like I said, I think it was around December and January the last time that I was made aware of that. Mm -hmm.
Any other questions? Okay. Next slide, please. And here is our diversity dashboard uh, by age groups. <coughs> our total count as of July 12th, we have uh, 4,589 uh, employees. Uh, female totals is 3,290 and male is 1,299. Lynn, can I highlight one thing? I thought it was interesting. We we had them add at the bottom, as you can see, the, the views. Um, I thought that was really incredible. Um, how many people have viewed the HR diversity dashboard? Almost 20,000. It's pretty impressive. Uh -huh. Yes. Any questions on this slide? I did. I, I wanted to know since like we want a strategic plan to be like a living document, mm -hmm. which of these, I know that it was a hundred slide deck and there were like very specific ones to um, um, HR related ones that were about, um, you know, the, the recruitment ones about like opening it to like more spaces that, that are opening to like underrepresented minority or like even less of the credentialing kind of some of the like re-looking at our policies and things about like what are some of our requirements or core requirements like I just wanted to know like how are some of those already in motion Lorna as as you're going and like which ones so um which ones like are tracking to some of the goals that you have in 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 the plan Sure. So we, we have meetings set up through the month of August um, to look at those pillars, the physician and employee pillars. Um, and just like the new, um, there's been discussions, at, I think it's QPI uh, discussions about what the metrics will be there. And, um, you know, I was working with that team um, to add uh, the net promoter score. And we're, so we should have more information um, by fall. Um, I do know there's four meetings set up to discuss. One of them is um, I'm working with Dr. Achilles Swarin and Felicia Tornabene to uh, look at how we some of the data that we want to measure that's new. So I should have more information by the October meeting. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Any more questions on this particular slide? Okay. So I'm going to turn it over to Lorna. Thank you, Lynn. So we just wanted to give you an update. We have um, relaunched the employee recognition of the quarter program. Um, and it's going to, and this is the old name, uh, Superstar Recognition, but we thought we would keep it. Um, the, the program was going to launch sooner, but it, as you know, I think we presented at a previous meeting that um, we had to change our contract with Engage to Excel, who helps us run this program. And we have online nomination forms. And so the program um, was sunsetted in 2019. So it's being kicked off in August, 2022. Um, there'll be eight winners along with a provider of the quarter. Um, we'll be presenting this um, at, you know, at a manager forum or maybe even the CEO chat was another suggestion from our PACE team. So that's our plan. Um, we're updating the nomination forms. Um, again, they're going to be all seamless online. Um, and so the winner will receive $250 in recognition points to purchase merchandise and a catalog versus giving them a live check 
as many of you probably remember from years ago, it was a check and um, HR was very instrumental. Um, I have to call Karen Skillman on the on the call because she was the one that was running from payroll to the campus with flowers and the live check to give it to the awardee uh, a lot of times. So we are trying to streamline this program. Um, so this will also allow leaders to uh, award points for employees for exceptional work. So beyond the employee of the quarter program or the superstar recognition program, there's also a way in real time that um, managers will have the ability to give points for, you know, caught in the act of greatness or above and beyond work and um, award points um, to that employee. And we're working with um, our PACE partners to come up with a plan of like how we can highlight some of those really unique ones that um, come up. Um, James frequently does it in the CEO chat. Um, he recognizes um, staff from different campuses. Um, and we would like to do something similar for employees that receive points, but maybe they're a runner up for um, superstar recognition, but they did something extraordinary. Next slide, please. Is that it? No. That may be it. Does anybody have any questions? No, no, oh, no. here we go. Oh yeah, thank you. Oh, and this is just fun. I thought you guys would enjoy this. Um, we had the annual recognition dinner on June 17th. Um, it was a beautiful event. As you can see, this is the list of um, how many employees we had it uh, recognized for each milestone. Um, it was at the Greek Orthodox again, and it was beautiful. I'd like to share just some highlighted pictures. Here's a beautiful picture of the balloon drop that happened. Um, Oh, these nice. are some the, yeah, these are some of the employees that um, uh, receive recognition. And we, uh, I want to thank James and Mark for um, doing all the pr presentations um, last minute. Um, I had a, I had a personal issue with my knee, so I couldn't stand up. So they graciously, you know, took over for me. Um, <clears throat> these are just some of our pictures from our employees. Ugh. Our PACE team and the slide before, of course, everybody recognized our general chapter president, Veronica, right there. And PACE team. And Tan from my HR department, I had to put him in there. I just wanted to be known for the record that I'm in those pictures because they asked, I didn't photobomb them. <laughs> James, I, James, I thought it was because of the coat. Yeah, I, I was wondering if some of the awards that are employees will come out of the CEO's wardrobe. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's styling, not not because of ouch. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take I, the blue suede shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I like the shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Just to let all of you know, um, on the HR committee, I wanted to just highlight, we are gonna be looking at retooling the recognition dinner. One thing that became very evident um, from the, not just the people that RSVP, but the people that RSVP'd and then rescinded their RSVP was that several people did not feel comfortable coming to an event and eating. And so that kind of came up last minute. Um, hmm. So we didn't really get the turnout. So we're going to be working um, and and uh, on trying to change up what we do um, for recognition going forward. I think just in light of um, people's concerns 
with breaking bread in large groups still. And so it was a very nice event. I will say there was zero COVID positive cases that came out of the event. Thank you. And so we did a good job, but um, I think we need to maybe look at retooling it. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't able to come for that. I was looking forward to it, but it looks like, you know, people had a good time. They did. Yeah. As a, as a former board member, I'd make a plug for, you know, Jed, Jen, for those who haven't um, had an opportunity to um, participate in this. It is amazing. It is really amazing. And such a, like it, when we are in the boardroom, we often don't get to like hobnob and really meet uh, with so I was one of those who RSVP'd and I, James knows I was in a medical appointment that ran over and I could not attend because of that and this is like my, literally my highlight much more than the gala this is my highlight uh, as a board member of like coming and recognizing the folks who are the lifeline of this organization. I will happily attend if it's outdoors. You can find me anywhere outdoors. <laughs> I would love to attend as well. I always love the employee recognitions, especially when it's 20 years plus. That, that says a lot about the employee and says a lot about the organization itself. So definitely count me in. Wonderful. Thank you. Ms. Jones, this is uh, Taft. Um, uh, quick question. You know, I'm obviously a big fan of anyone who is trying to shape culture, which you, you and your team are obviously trying to do. Can we talk about budget? Uh, so just to, to ask ourselves, how much is this organization putting back into itself to help shape our culture? What, what are sort of the line items on, on, on these recognitions and, 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 and ballpark and, and, and dinners and the, and the like? And again, I, I want to iterate, I'm extremely supportive of investing back in ourselves, but just trying to be a good steward of, of this line item. Can you advise on that? Yeah, they, they can run. So we planned originally for 220, just so you know, because um, that was how many we, so there was over 200 um, recipients of awards. Um, and then you can usually, uh, you know, guesstimate that 50% of people will RSVP. That's kind of like the official um, number that we use. Um, and we work with an outside group that that does party planning, of course. And so they help us. Um, so we had anticipated 200. Um, we only had, we had about 86, I think, total, um, maybe 100, um, because we did have some people that came um, and left before the award ceremony that I'm aware of. Um, so... You know, they run anywhere from sixty-five thousand to over a hundred thousand dollars for an event, to, in total, and that's for food, catering, wine, which uh, the venue didn't, um, you know, have um, bartenders or alcohol, so we had to supply both. And Lynn and Karen um, on the call were bartenders um, that night, and they rotated, and I brought, you know, all the wine. Um, so it was very much a group effort. And so they, you know, the, this event is only annually and, and that's about the cost of it. And other things that we're trying to do, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'll have to defer to Karen for the numbers because she's my, she's also the project owner for um, Engage to Excel who runs this employee of the quarter. Um, I want to say that the, the contract we signed was for over a year. Correct me if I'm wrong, Karen. Three it years. was about a hundred, three years, 
Uh-huh. And what was the total? Do you recall? It was like a hundred thousand a year. So it was $330,000. And it's really uh, most of the money is going to the port points program. So that once you give points to employees, they can um, redeem them for merchandise. And so when they redeem them, uh, we get charged uh, for that merchandise. And so we have to maintain a sort of a bank of money so that when people are redeeming, we can pay the vendor for the merchandise. Um, and, um, some people can save their points. You know, you want to, I don't, I don't want to cash in my hundred points this time. I want to wait till I get 500 points, right. And get something better. So we have to keep, uh, the money in this budget, uh, in this bank so that we can redeem, uh, you know, pay for redemptions as they happen. So, uh, it'll, and part of the cost is initiating the pro- the program, but the rest is, it's really holding money aside to pay for redemptions of, of gifts. Did I answer your question? Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. I, I think just the point is that we're investing in our in our own people. And uh, I think sometimes the qu- quantifying it uh, will help our people understand that they're, they're being thought of. <laughs> no, and can I just add on to that list then? If you really think about it, we, we started the first tuition reimbursement program um, this year. July 1 was the go live date. Um, this organization has not had a tuition reimbursement program. There's also the ability... Um, you know, with management approval to get certification, um, to get certs reimbursed as well. Um, so we've invested in that. Um, we did the first cohort of um, growth space, which is, um, we'll get into that in a minute, but that that is our, um, our uh, you know, um, leadership development cohort that went through. Um, that is, a, you know, they get five visits, I believe. Um, to meet with a, a career counselor, basically, or um, executive coach who gives them direction or helps them um, migrate of whether they want to promote or maybe they want to transition to a lateral position. Um, we've invested in that. We have a lot of exciting things that we're trying to do. Um, and some stuff, um, hopefully we'll have more information. I'm working with uh, Dr. Achilles Warren um, on this other idea that she's very interested in as well. And so I'm hoping that we'll get farther enough along by October to announce that, which will be a real true investment in our employees. Well, I, 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 again, I love hearing that that stuff's just rolling off your tongue. And again, you know, this is two things. It's the qual that we're investing in our people, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I try to fashion myself as a quant. So I also like to know, man, how much are we investing in ourselves? So I love that list. And I can imagine you know, a, a, an inventory of this uh, would be, I think, great for this uh, for this committee to to know how we're investing back in ourselves. So, again, thank you for all this great and super important work. Wonderful, thank you. Um, I think we're ready to go ahead and let Arlene present on the OLE initiatives. Hey, Arlene, are you ready? Yes, I apologize, I was on mute. Thank you, Lynn, and welcome. Uh, good evening, everyone. I, um, I I couldn't ask for a better segue into uh, this investment into our workforce, into our staff and our leaders. Um, much of what we covered today, this evening, um, has been covered in both the January and April subcommittee meetings as well. So it's just 
kind of updating everybody on, on all of these topics you see before you, Leadership Academy, Career Coaching, Tuition Reimbursement. We will talk about the uh, our new mentorship program and then some cultural improvement initiatives as well as um, DEI and affinity groups. So let me just... So uh, just some updates about our Leadership Academy. I wanted to provide a little bit of background. Um, Leadership Academy was launched at Alameda Health System in 2017. And between 2017 and the end of 2019, over 280 leaders completed six full days of in-person classroom uh, training and, and coursework. And and um, it was required of everyone. So in Bill, and then of, co of course the, the pandemic occurred. And so we have, our team has basically moved Leadership Academy to a virtual platform. It's all delivered via Zoom now. And we have convened, there, there have been several new leaders with part of which have, um, has been the turnover. Um, we have convened four cohorts for this calendar year. For February, May, and July, the, the average number of participants has been 15. Lynn and I just launched the uh, July cohort today, welcomed everyone and encouraged their full participation. The September cohort, interestingly, has 26 people enrolled with a waiting list. So that's a total of close to 75 people who will have completed leaders who will have completed a leadership academy by the end of this calendar year. Another note about the 2017 to 2019 participants, again, close over 280, 25 of those participants were physician leaders. And so we're very much including physicians as well. You see the next um, portion of this slide is around the curricula. The cornerstone is facilitative leadership, which is a um, a toolkit, if you will, uh, for, for managers to use. And the, um, the goal was to select something that was consistent. So how leaders approach results, relationships, and, and um, processes would be consistent across the system. It's seven practices. And then the, next, the following bullets, where there were skill labs that were actually developed and facilitated and presented by our own colleagues in the, the, uh, the divisions you see, finance, quality, compliance, uh, the lean team, and several areas of human resources. So just a footnote to that, our faculty was our, consisted of our own colleagues, and that can also serve as their personal de professional development as, as well. To, um, to know something is one thing, to teach it is another. And the, the last part of Leadership Academy, we peppered in um, some professional development around growth mindset, emotional intelligence, and we did have a skill lab on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our next steps, we are currently just beginning to develop a professional development academy for unrepresented individual contributors. There's some interest there. And I think that um, we can vet and speak with stakeholders and identify who we will um, who we will have participate. But I think there is definite interest in the individual contributor um, area. Any, any questions about this slide? So Lorna mentioned growth space earlier, and um, here are the parameters by which we um, negotiated that deal. Typically, the model is 
around performance management. It's a, a, the coach and employee and the managers involved. And we negotiated to remove the manager from the equation and have solely career and executive coaching. And they agreed to that. We piloted with 50 participants. And we also have surveyed those participants halfway through the program. Overall response is extremely positive. And Lorna mentioned that we have five sessions Many participants have asked for more than five, so we will want to um, look at how we can follow up in, in that area. So tremendous success, and I think we'll be anticipating the, another cohort. Tuition reimbursement has been mentioned as well. It was launched July 1st. Um, you can see the criteria there, and we have... Um, we have not received any actual applications yet. What we're gauging are frequently asked questions. The routing process operationally goes through our HR service center. And so then they, and then they are routed to um, my team and me, and we will review, vet, approve, et cetera. We're, so as, these, um, as the questions come through to the HR service center, we will um, discern frequently asked questions and have uh, some answers scripted for that group as well. You can see the amounts that it will be granted for each level. And of course, there has to be a passing grade. There's documentation that, of course, is very much required. The approval in advance of the um, tuition reimbursement will, requires the manager's um, agreement. And then the tuition reimbursement itself um, entails documentation and a passing grade. We have collaborated with payroll and HRIS to work through that process as well to simplify it and make it as streamlined as possible. Questions? We are launching uh, this quarter our mentorship program. This is something that um, we're every, there's a lot of excitement about it. And I want to thank James for his enthusiasm and his promotion of this. Um, he agreed to um, record a video to welcome our mentees. Uh, we are convening, we are identifying approximately 10 participants and 10 uh, as mentees and 10 par participants as mentors. For this first pilot cohort, it's at the, the mentors are at the executive level and the mentees are typically high-performing managers. As we look at the second cohort that we'll, we'll launch in quarter four, we will likely have the mentors serve at the uh, director level and above, and the mentees may involve individual contributors. Um, lots of uh, resources available. The, the mentee cohort will meet. There will be lots of support available. There'll be meetings. They will each get a DISC assessment to have some personal reflection. We will facilitate the individual development plan or IDP so they can really set their goals. We'll emphasize that it is their role, part of their development to truly manage the process for themselves as well as the relationship with their mentor. And I just wanted to note that anyone who's participating in growth space coaching certainly can participate in this as well. For the mentors, our executive leaders, um, the orientation will be one-on-one. -on -one. They too, if they've not um, 
received it before, we'll have a DISC assessment. And there was a request actually from Mark Fratsky to convene a monthly mentor circle, which I'll facilitate. And I think that'll be a nice exchange of, of best practices, some, some information sharing and some feedback. We will be monitoring, since this is a pilot, we will be monitoring the experience of both the mentors and the mentees so we can fine tune, plan, do, check, act, and, and fine tune as we move forward. Question, Arlene. Um, yes. This is so exciting. Um, how, how is there like a formal duration of this, or once it starts, it's kind of open ended? Like how how long is there an expectation that the mentor mentee at least um, this relation should be? And just throwing it out there for the next uh, cohort. Do think of the board as oh, thank you. Like, you know, be uh, and I, I speak for myself, but I know that other if there are opportunities because many of us are in that space of like coaching or supporting and um, staff at different levels. And so it's, and I always feel it's bi-directional. It's never like the mentor that is one way, like it is as affirming and learning for the, for the mentor as it is for the mentee. So it's like win-win for everybody. Yes, in fact, we will be emphasizing this, that the, it is bi-directional learning as opposed to traditionally mentor. You know, it is the mentors will benefit from this as well. Everybody has an opportunity to grow. To, grow. to your question, we are, we are um, slating approximately a six-month period for this, for this program. And thank you very much. Thank you. Energy for um, indicating that the board may be interested in mentoring too. That'd be very exciting. We could like toss it to the board and see who has the bandwidth and the ability to do that. Yeah. Thank you. So cultural improvement, we've mentioned this before too. Um, D.B. Bedford is a, um, he was born and raised in Oakland. He is a former felon turned parole officer and he now conducts workshops on emotional intelligence. And many of his clients are healthcare organizations. So in working through that contract with him, the conversation I've had with him is uh, asking him what the, his workshops typically look like, but I wanted to, I asked him to couch those based on all that we've talked about, you know, in HR and other forums, how he can best link that to the bullying and incivility occurrences that are, are surfacing, that are bubbling up in some of the actual departments that are highlighted below. And so because this is an open workshop, um, the scheduling is a little bit different than assigning in an LMS system, et cetera. So we are, we are working through leaders to have them kind of have an open call and encouragement for their staff to attend. We looked to our manager of labor relations who had done something very similar, Desiree Mosley, and um, this was a best practice we, just, we picked up from her. And so we look forward to this. We will, um, we, in scheduling these, they all will be via Zoom at this point. Um, you know, it's a little open-ended. Should it become a safe environment to convene um, multiple people in, in, a, in a, a space, um, it will be in person. Um, DB Bedford is very flexible along those ways. And of course we will welcome and introduce him. We won't just kind of um, have him host his own Zoom sessions. We'll, we'll be sure to welcome and introduce him and frame the, the context of the, of the purpose of the, the workshops. 
Arlene, can I just mention that the bullying and incivility is also another in-person training that has been done by the labor um, department at AHS. And there've been several sessions that have already transpired in the last nine months. Um, I facilitated two of the trainings at San Leandro. So that's another class that we offer within um, our HR. And then how many people have gone through it so far? Because I know you guys are just starting it, but how many so far? Zero for this program. I'm not sure, Lorna, how many have gone through the, the sessions you're describing. We could, we could certainly find that out. I don't have a ballpark. Um, I know that for myself, I've done a, a two, co two classes I facilitated, one with three people and one with 20. So that kind of gives you a big range. But mm -hmm. Desiree Mosley also has been facilitating this training. She's the manager of labor relations. Um, and she's done it all over Highland. I know the ED has been done, respiratory therapy, EVS, OR. So we've, we've hit big chunks. Um, we've given the class on weekends. In fact, she gave the class on, uh, on a weekend back in May for EVS. Um, and so she's given, she's also done series of classes, like she's done three sessions for a department. And so people can pick which one they can, you know, make for their schedule. Mm -hmm. And we're getting evaluations afterwards, right? Yes. Or, you know, feedback from the participants. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and this is uh, the ones that uh, with DB that were, but the other one are open to everybody, right? Like right now you have your prioritizing subcultures where bullying prevails, but emotional intelligence, all of this is eventually your hope is that this is something that will be system-wide to everybody, not just ED Highland or respiratory Highland. Yes. Um, the, the departments that are listed are the ones where the problems have surfaced or the challenges have surfaced. And so we want to be very specific with those populations and we will be scheduling general sessions as well. DB is wonderful to work with and he's very open and flexible and I, we've mentioned shifts and so we will be mindful of the shift change and capturing as many, um, you know, as many night shift staff as, as day and evening. Um, and so, yes, the general, it, it, in fact, I'm thinking it might be beneficial to schedule them by campus, by location. Um, and that way there's a, there's a nice um, mix of people who work at the same locations in the, in the workshops. So um, we also want to touch, of course, on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and this naturally ties to our health equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. Um, in, in conjunction with compliance with California Senate Bill 464, Dignity in Pregnancy and Childbirth, where the legislation mandates that perinatal providers complete implicit bias training every two years. We are, and we rolled that out and far more people than were specified in the bill completed that training. And so we're building on that. Actually, it was a deliberate decision, a strategic decision by our heady leaders to, to assign the e-learning modules for implicit bias to everyone. And that way they were there to complete. Um, so we will need to, uh, we are in the process of identifying how to follow up, how to repeat without 
without repeating the prior curriculum, um, it, the implicit bias for that particular group. But we're also um, in conjunction with, with Dr. Swift talking about how to, uh, who co-chairs our HETI steering committee, how we can develop training for all staff. And so we're working with Dr. Pam Simmons-Mackey who oversees our, um, some of our, our physician um, formal education. We are in the process of compi compiling a training inventory, both internal and external that will serve as a database. And then we are also in the process, we've selected racial justice as a topic to build on what we've done in the past for implicit bias. We're, we're striving to develop training around um, racial justice for all staff. And so we're starting to design what that will look like. Um, and, and so, you know, this is an ongoing process. It's, you know, it's not a one and done or check the box. It's, it's very much an evolution. It is a culture improvement and culture shift. It's, um, excuse me, it's very serious. And so, um, and so we're, we're trying to be as comprehensive, but, but strategic and deliberate at the same time in, in, um, in our approach. Well, I, I commend you guys for taking this on the racial justice um, work, because that that is very difficult for everyone to go through, right? Because, you know, there's bias, right? There's systemic racism in, in our society. And so there's a lot of baggage mm -hmm. that has to, you have to work your way through to get there. And it's, it's not easy. And I'm glad you said it's not a checkbox one done it is an ongoing process so I commend you guys for doing that <clears throat> I, and I wanted to add to this Arlene you've seen the email that went so one of the things is that uh, because instead of redoubling and you know reinventing the wheel and doing things so our board executive committee met last week or week before last and we've been thinking of a learning arc for our board as well because in the past we've gone for conferences and we've gone for trainings so um you know next week uh, i guess you um mini and i are meeting and because there's already a list of things so it's not so we are looking at like what are some of the um trainings that for ELT and board that will be kind of foundational training, both in racial equity, but for in addition to that, for the board, we are looking at the governance institute, some of the ones that we, um, that we usually attend or we do virtually and things. So like putting together a proposal. So I think we are meeting next week around that. We already have some plans around like what we think would be great. Like there's a groundwater training that the ambulatory folks have done mm -hmm. and that some of them are doing like what would be some foundational work because I mean as as the body that um, approves the um, strategic plan and is going to be looking at like laying, uh, laying our own strategy and kind of guiding that uh, we've got to have a foundational level of competence in this as well and I think we are, might be at different stages of our journey and the best thing about this is that it, it's a lifelong journey so no matter where one is one is mm -hmm. just you know we have to we are all in learning mode nobody can say we got this so um, do, so looking at that so just kind of heads up to our fellow folks that this 
when we talk about staff, like we, the board is also part of the AHS team integral. So some of this also applies to us. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Any other questions or comments about this initiative? It's, it is vast. It's, it can be overwhelming and we just keep, stay, stay focused on uh, uh, and a, and a theme and building on what we've already done, um, I think is, a, is, is the best approach. <coughs> and finally, our affinity groups, we come back to our, our, our staff again. Um, Lorna and others have launched three of our affinity groups, BEAN, which is an acronym for Black Employees and Allies Network, Latinx, LGBTQIA+, and it sounds as though we, they're, um, we're anticipating the Asian American and Pacific Islander affinity group. Um, we, we're, we're really focusing on how to increase engagement. The, the participation of the membership, if you will, has been, um, I think, smaller than anticipated. It's, it's, they exist, but it's, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to grow that. So we've partnered with our PACE team and um, are considering how best to get out the word that it's not solely limited to those who identify with that particular affinity group, but it's also, um, and it's also uh, invites those who are allies of that particular group to join as well. Um, we do have some money earmarked in our HETI budget to support our affinity groups. And so on along those lines, and there've been some discussions along those lines, uh, we will be developing some a, a, a policy and, a, um, and some guidelines around parameters and how that money can support them, et cetera. I wanna add to that, um, I think within our residence group, there were some natural affinity groups that, that surfaced and they're, they're very much in place and, and ongoing as well. So I, um, Lorna and Lynn, anything to add to this slide? No, just that um, I'm, I think that the new page, we just stood up a new page in the last week or week and a half. And um, we're hoping to drive um, employees to that page it's on the stacks page and the you know of our internet page and so um if you click on the image that's towards the bottom of the stacks you'll see it and it will take you to the page and just today we uploaded the flyers for each of the meetings and one of the unique things that we created was a qr code for the meetings because we found many employees said that you know like evs food service don't have laptops or computers and so um they can take a you know, we're, we also post the flyers and on, you know, employee boards throughout the hospital, the hospitals. And so they can take a picture or, you know, scan the QR code and join the meeting from their phone when they're on a break or at lunch. And so um, I did see that with the Black Employees and Allies group, it did, it did help with the uptick in people attending the meeting. And so we anticipate that we'll see more employees at these other meetings as well. Lorna, oh, sorry. Uh, so go ahead. I was going to wrap it up, so please go ahead. Yeah. yeah, one thing, Arlene, you presented this at the full board meeting too, and Lorna, look, well, I, would, I would hope that A, there are a lot of allies in these groups that are there, but also like when I've done affinity groups, sometimes people, like white people, feel very shy to say like, can we have a white-only group? Because they're like, oh my God, that's so racist. Like we, if we say we want a white-only group, but the thing is that when you're doing like social racial justice work or like how do we create an inclusive culture, 
sometimes mm-hmm. the work that BIPOC people have to do in racial justice, social justice is a little different from what white folks have to do. So having a designated space for, you know, people um, to come in process, to have a safe space where they can say things and learn and be vulnerable and not feel like, oh, I look so like I'm going to offend somebody or the other is like really important to have that collective learning. So if uh, we have our champions here, like our CMO, our COO, our others who are like our white allies over here. And so I would strongly suggest from the HR to say like, guys, we need like a lot of white champions. And like, if there's an affinity space of people who gather together and do this work on their own too, like what are, how are we learning to do that? That would be great as well. I know I heard that the med MEXC now has a DEI kind of diversity community or the other, but pretty much all made up of black and brown physicians. And I think sometimes the onus, because all of this is volunteer work, extra work and things. So when you have to do your day job and you have to do your shift job, and then you're also doing some of the DEI work, like it really needs everybody. And so sometimes with the onus um, falling a lot disproportionately on people of color to kind of lead this work forward too. So I feel like the the affinity groups are an amazing space for like solidarity, for, you know, social, but also in this deep space of reflection and learning and being together. So if we can, I'm seeing Black, Latino, LGBTQI, API would be nice to have a like a, you know, Thanks. Can I just ask one question? Um, just, I, I appreciate what you're saying so much, Kinkini, and I completely agree with the one caveat that um, these, uh, just to clarify, I have a question before I make my statement. These affinity groups do not have uh, DEI staffer or facilitator, is that correct? Correct. Well, well, just to be transparent, I attend every single meeting. So I put together the agenda, the flyer until they elect. And so the idea behind it is um, I've done that until they elect their own internal committee, you know, and they get their own structure set up. And so like, for instance, Bean is right there. The next meeting that they have, which is tomorrow, um, they are ready. We have enough participants and they are going to elect their committee and put together their structure. So just to be transparent, I don't want to lie to you. I've done the flyers and then our interns have helped with the flyers this last go around, which has been extremely helpful. Um, But we put together a statement of work um, until they're ready to take it off, you know, to to elect their um, internal committee members. Got it. Uh, Thank you for that clarification. I think... um... The, the reason I feel moved to speak in this moment is just that um, DEI work is incredible and necessary and complicated and hard for everybody. And I think um, even people with the best interests, like I know these affinity groups are a portion of the DEI work that's being done. Um, even with the best intentions, sometimes things can be so complicated because we live in a world that is colored by, excuse the euphemism, but you know, that's been impacted by 
colonialism and white supremacy and heteronormativity and uh, misogyny, you know, for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's something that just gives me pause about uh, a white only space that doesn't have um, facilitation. And maybe that's my own internal fears and worries and biases, but uh, I think we're seeing a lot of white only spaces creep up around the nation and the world. And mm-hmm. I don't know, scares me a little. So I, I, I would for just- DEI, For DEI, if this is like very focused on that, Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is the lens you're bringing in. But I understand that all of these, especially if there is not internal capacity, we don't have necessarily a subgroup that is able to like facilitate and do the mm-hmm. space Then we have to. Um, and, and both, like I've been in spaces where, um, you know, where it's been Black or Latinx and it's so taken over with allies and everybody else streaming in and people have said, wait, wait, we want a space that is just for ourselves where we can like, un, uh, you know, be in community with folks who are more like us. So I think that those also are the spaces because we were, so I, I, I think we need the ally spaces and things and it has to be truly in service of an anti-racist inclusive organization that these employee resource groups or affinity spaces, whatever we call them, are being, you know, Mm -hmm. supported and resourced. The purpose has to be clear. Yeah, I I think that's something that um, as we, as staff and uh, line staff work out the racial justice part of this work, I don't want to call them trainings, I want to call them journeys, workshops, but it is important that we address that. Um, I don't know if you want to form a task force, but something, right, that um, <clears throat> make sure that, you know, it is diverse, including white folks, right, are part of whatever the racial justice journey that we go into, right? Because um, everybody has something to learn and everybody has um, a commitment, you know, for the system to make this work. And, you know, just um, participating in the SEIU Racial Justice Task Force, let me just say, it is hard work, right? Feelings get hurt, uh, you know, biases come out, you know, that are not conscious, but you know, people of color and immigrants will look at it differently. So it's hard work and we just have to have a very open mind, but be focused on that we want to be an anti-racist, you know, know, hospital system. But yeah, it's hard work. So whoever's like working on the racial justice um, workshops, we should be very mindful of that. And I do agree that everybody should participate including the board of trustees, right? That people have to see us uh, as not just board of trustees, but also leaders of the system and that we're gonna participate fully on this challenging hard work. Thank you, Louisa. 
too many people feel like that is an optional thing. Like, yeah, I'm an excellent oh, yeah. clinician. I don't have to do the, oh, yeah. I, like I treat everybody well and I'm respectful. It's like, no, this is like hard work and you, the only yeah. way is to practice. So yeah. we all have to, there's no out. Yeah, no out. Okay. Thank you very much. I think one other thing to emphasize is bringing it back to, to culture is to create opportunities. We've talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we also want to emphasize belonging. And so mm-hmm. groups often provide that to those, to, to many as well. So, um, so that's part of the, I hate to say goal, but because it's not a check the box again, but it's, it really is part of the you know, culture improvement or culture, um, you know, uh, opportunity. Yeah. And I just want to say that I doubt any other health system is doing this. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. We've just briefly, we've talked about um, reaching out to other organizations and seeing what, what's in place. Um, so that's yeah. good to know from you, Trustee. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that that's the end of, of what I have to present. If there are any other questions I can um, answer or uh, otherwise we can, I thank you very much. Thank you. So let me look at my agenda here. What do we have next? Are we done? Did we yeah. go through all of this already? We did. We did. Oh, wow. we, we, if you remember, we reduced our agenda for a few items yeah. that were ripe for prime time. <laughs> right. Okay. So do we have anything else um, that we need to discuss? Actions that we need to take? So are you saying we're done? <laughs> All right. So to the committee. And to anybody else who's on this meeting, is there anything else that people want to bring up? Questions that need to get followed up on? Okay, do I have a motion to adjourn? You you don't need a motion. Okay, (laughs) then goodbye. (laughs) Thanks all. Good night. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye.